love you, and we are so grateful for this day. As we sing your praises and reminded about who you are and what you have done over us, may we also be reminded that we're your sons and daughters. May we be reminded that our chains can fall and that the fear will bow right here and now in this place because we know you are here and present and active and moving. And we expect you to move today, Father. We love you. I pray that you bless Steve and uh, everything that you've prepared him to say that you will speak through him this morning. We love you. In your name we pray. We all say together. Well, uh, welcome. It is, it's really good to be here with you today. Uh, for those of you joining us online, welcome. For those of you who are just joining us uh, today or for the first time in a while, welcome. Uh, my name's Steve Cunningham. I get to be uh, the, the lead pastor here at Wellhouse, and it's, it's just a privilege for me and my family. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I wasn't able to be with you. I was laying in bed, thought I was literally dying from the flu, and some of you have been there. Uh, you, you, uh, you had it too, and so it's good to be back. I'll let you know I still have a little bit of a, a cough. I'm over all the contagious parts, but still have a little bit of a cough, so I have a cough drop in today. So those of you who are sitting in the front, a couple rows, it could come flying out eventually, so um, just hand it back to me. I'll pop, pop it right back in. We'll keep going, right? We are starting a new series today. It's, uh, it's a new year, 2023. It's hard to believe. I remember singing the song uh, from Prince, right? We're going to party like it's 1999 and feeling like that was so far away. It was just a ludicrous thing to, 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 to sing. And here we are, 2023. Uh, so those of us who admit listening to that and feeling like it was forever away, now we're old, right? Um, but uh, there's something about a new year um, that I think oftentimes either, A, gives us a chance for a fresh start. Maybe those some of you are like, all right, that's what I needed, a little bit of a fresh start, a little bit of a new perspective. And then there's some of us, and maybe you fall into this camp where you're like, ugh, right? Where you kind of feel like, I, I kind of... I'm afraid to even say New Year's resolution because I've made so many in the past, right, that, and they just didn't work out like I thought. So I just kind of, in, in fact, what I found statistically over the course of the past 20 years is that the majority of people now don't make a New Year's resolution because they have in the past and just never worked out. So they told themselves, I'm not going to do this anymore right? And so you typically fall into uh, one uh, or two, one of the other categories there. And so as we start in this series, Who Am I? I think it's really important for us to kind of go back to our core identity of who we are as we begin this new year uh, together. I think it's, it's super important to continue to ask ourselves that question of, of who am I really? Because we can often lose sight of that. And what I want to let you know and what I want to remind you of over and over and over again is that you are in the process of leaving behind your legacy. You're in the process of leaving behind your legacy. 
legacy, what people will remember you at. So if something were to happen to me later on today, I'm driving home and I have an accident and, and, and I don't make it. I have built over the course of 42, almost 43 years now, an accumulation of things that, that people know Steve as, and those things become then my legacy. The same is true for you. You leave behind a legacy. Uh, I'll never forget a couple, Gene uh, and Jeannie Brock. I grew up with Gene uh, and Jeannie Brock as they were kind of older people in our church. And then uh, I can tell you that Gene and Jeannie Brock didn't think of themselves as anything uh, important, anything valuable. They didn't see themselves as special in any kind of way. Um, but they were always really open to, to loving people, to serving people, and to praying with and for people. And I'll never forget one day, I'm over at Gene and Jeannie Brock's home. Now, they're, uh, at the time, they were in their mid-70s, and here I am, a young guy starting off in, in ministry. I'm in my early 20s, and I go over, and I have lunch with them at their house, and and so Jeannie, the, the wife, says, Steve, is there anything that we can be praying about for you? And uh, I think to myself, well, I should be asking you that question. I feel like, you know, but sure. And she says, okay, hold on. And she goes and she grabs this journal and she writes it down. And I said, are you, like, taking notes on me for, like, leadership meeting? <laughs> like, are you going to? She said, no. We really have committed to praying specifically for people. And we love to go back in time and see the ways in which God has worked in their life. And sometimes that takes weeks, and sometimes that takes years, and sometimes that takes decades, but we know that God is faithful. And I love that. Because here's the thing about Gene and Jeannie Brock is they didn't think they were anybody special, but here I am 20 years later, and I can sit there and tell you how much that has meant to me over the past 20 years. See, they left a legacy behind that showed me how to be faithful in praying for people. And that's huge. Uh, that, that's a big shift in our life, but I'll tell you, that most of the time when it comes to my life and who I am and when I look around and I see other people and the things that they're doing with their health or the things that they're doing with their finances or the things that they're doing with their family or the things that they're doing with their faith, I feel like I'm kind of a failure. So if you identify with that and you're thinking like, I would love to, to kind of take a shift, I would, I would love to kind of take a step in that direction. In fact, I even maybe would, would consider making like a New Year's resolution to, to begin to do that, but I just don't want to fail anymore. Then what I want to let you know is that as we begin the series today, that's exactly what we're going to be addressing is this idea sometimes we fail in life. In fact, failure happens all the time. I love uh, cooking at home. It's, it's, I love trying new recipes. I, 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 I kind of get into trying to perfect things. But sometimes my family will tell you that when I try something for the first time or two or ten, it doesn't always work out that way. How many of you have ever been there before? You made a new meal for your family and it was like, 
nobody ate it, right? It just, it just did not turn out the way that you thought it was going to be. And this is common, right? This happens all the time. In fact, I, I found some pictures online a couple of weeks ago uh, that, that here we go, if we have those. Yeah, so you have like the expectation of like, all right, I'm going to make Olaf for the kid's birthday party this year, but then, then you do it and it doesn't turn out quite right. Or maybe it's this Pikachu. Yeah, there you go. I, that thing is frightening, by the way. It's, it's, it just doesn't work out, right? I mean, you kind of feel like a failure. There we go, SpongeBob. I don't know what happened. It looks like SpongeBob melted. There we go. We got another one. Yeah, Chewbacca. That's rough. Sometimes the expectation isn't on you, it's on somebody else, what other people do. So sometimes it looks like this. You ask somebody to make a cake. Here we go. And you just say, like, listen, I just want sprinkles on it, right? <clears throat> and so they write on there, I want sprinkles. There you go. Or thanks for a great year. And you want it in purple. And they just decide that they're going to add the word. It's not what you thought, right? It doesn't turn out the way that you had hoped. Here's the, another one. Happy birthday with no frilly crap. I don't want any. Don't you be putting any kind of frilly crap on there. Perfect. We'll add that for you. Right? Because it doesn't always turn out the way that we had hoped. Sometimes it feels like a failure. And sometimes that statement is the statement that continues to roll around in our head over and over and over again. And it becomes, listen, it becomes our identity. You said to yourself year after year after year, you know, this is the year I'm going to do whatever it is. And then it's not the year that you do what you thought. And you keep saying it over and over again until finally you say, well, listen, I'm just not that person. I remember early on when I was a young kid, my brother, he was, he was like super book smart. He never had to crack a book. He would always get straight A's. And then I would go and I would study and I would study and I would study. And then I would get like a C. And I'm like, and so I begin to tell myself. Well, I'm just not, I'm just not a, a kind of a school person. I'm not, a, I'm not that smart of a guy. And I would tell myself that over and over again. Well, that's just not for me. School's just not for me. Learning's just not for me. Studying's just not for me. That's just not who I am. And so I believe that about myself over the course of junior high and high school. I barely graduated high school. I only really graduated because my principal told me, this is, this is actually a true story. He told me, the reason why we're letting you graduate is because I don't want to see you anymore. <laughs> yeah, Taylor's like, I feel the same way. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding, Taylor. Oh, <laughs> uh, Yeah. It's funny that those things that you say to yourself can become who you are. And what I want to tell you is that's true individually, but it also can be true as a community. That we have this speak that we speak over ourselves, sometimes subconsciously, to the point where it becomes our identity. And what I want to do is I want to help us take a shift in a different direction. And you're going to hear me talk about that over the course of 2023, what it means to take a shift. 
Because I think sometimes just taking a different perspective on things and seeing things from a different angle sometimes really helps us understand things in a, in a better way. We're not a, we're not a church that has, that has had the, the best behind us. I don't believe that. As I believe God continually calls us into more of his glory, into more of his purpose, and that's why I'm here, and I believe that that's probably true of why you're here too. See, I believe that there's somebody in the Bible, there's a story in the Bible that helps us see this a little more clearly. It's a story about a guy named Moses. If you're familiar with much of the Bible, then you might be familiar with a guy named Moses. Oh, Moses, Old Testament the character. Moses is the flannel board story kind of character because there's so many unbelievable kinds of things that happen to Moses. And Moses is born in the time where they're killing all of the, the male Hebrew babies, but his mother saves him and he, she, she makes a little basket and she puts baby Moses in the basket and she sends it along and the older sister is, is given the task of kind of watching where that goes. And what we find out about baby Moses is he's saved and he, gets, he winds up being saved by the Pharaoh, uh, kind of the ruler of Egypt, uh, his daughter, and raised in the Egyptian courts. He goes from somebody who's, who, who might be uh, killed to somebody who's treated like a prince. He grows up with all the things at his disposal. And we find out through the scripture that, that Moses spends 40 years in Pharaoh's courts as truly a prince, living the highest life possible. Until one day, what we find out is that uh, even though Moses is, is raised uh, in, in the Egyptian courts, he understands that he's not Egyptian. And he sees an Egyptian that's mistreating a Hebrew, of which he is. And he can't stomach it. And he lets his anger get the better of him. And he winds up killing the Egyptian and hiding his body in the sand. And he thinks nobody notices, but the next day he sees two Hebrews fighting. And he goes to break them up and they say, hey, listen, what, what's going to happen? You're going to kill one of us and bury him just like you did yesterday? And Moses is exposed. And he recognizes that this is a sham. In fact, his whole life is a sham. He's living the life of somebody that he doesn't, he doesn't deserve. He never earned. He was given that opportunity, but he doesn't fit in. And now he's made a mistake that could ultimately end his life. And so what does Moses do? He takes off. He leaves. We find that eventually Moses gets married and he works for his father-in-law. How many of you ever worked for your father-in-law before? That's a fun job, ain't it? Right? <clears throat> Moses works for his father-in-law as a shepherd. It's the lowliest of all jobs. In fact, it's, it's not just the lowliest of all jobs. It's the fact that Moses is now doing the lowliest of all jobs of sheep that don't even belong to him. He's 40 years old, 45 years old, 50 years old, 60 years old, 70 years old, and now 80 years old. He spent the last 40, the first 40 years of his life growing up like nobody else did. And now he spent the last 40 years of his life wandering around in the desert taking care of sheep that no longer belong to him. He's taken the lowliest of positions and the only real attributes he has doesn't belong to him. They belong to his father-in-law. And he has nothing. 
And this is where our story picks up in Exodus chapter 3. If you have your Bible, you can scroll on over, flip on over there. Exodus, Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 1, this is what it says. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush, and Moses saw that the bush was on fire but did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight, why the, why the bush doesn't burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to take a look, God called him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place you're standing is holy ground. And then he said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he's afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hands of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites and Hittites and Amorites and Pezzarites and Hivites and Jebusites. I have a buddy who always says, and the hold them tights and love them rights, but that's not true. <laughs> and now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. And I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. There's a lot that happens at the burning bush, isn't there? <laughs> he goes over to see this strange side, what's happening over here, and suddenly he's face to face with God. Who says, listen, big things are in store. And I can't take it anymore. And so I'm going to use you to do something that you, you are going to be the conduit of a change, of a shift, of a new thing I'm doing. But Moses has spent 40 years wandering in the desert. He spent 40 years far removed from the past glory days. And so he responds to God. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who am I? Of all the people, God, you could choose of, of, all, of all the things. I'm literally no one. I own nothing. I am nobody. I just kind of actually want to be out here by myself and reflect on all the ways that I failed, that I thought it would be better, but here I am. I am no one. So who am I to do this? If you have a highlighter, underline this. This is so valuable, so important. God said, I'll be with you. And this will be the sign to you that is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Essentially what he's saying is you're going to recognize it's not about you. This isn't about you. This is about me. Moses' fail from the, 
from the past life, his fall from the past glory, the first 40 years where everything was hitting well, it was going well, it was, it was lush, it was great life, it was such a far distant cry from the life that he was living then, that it almost didn't seem real anymore. In fact, Moses couldn't successfully bury one Egyptian. I imagine in his mind thinking, how can I bury all of Egypt when I can't even successfully bury one Egyptian? How is this going to work? See, Moses thought it was about him. And he had nothing to his name and nothing at all to offer. And God had to remind him, it's not about you. And this is the first kind of thing that we learn in this story about who am I is that if your legacy is built on your shoulders and with your strength, it will not outlive you. If it's all about the good things that you can accomplish and the good things that you can do on your own power, then it will not outlive you. <clears throat> See, about 20 years ago, <clears throat> Jean and Jeannie Brock died within about a year of each other, roughly, uh, 15 years ago. The reason why their story still is with me isn't because they were such amazing people on their own. It was because of the great things that God had done through them, and they were just willing vessels I told you a little bit about the way that they pray, but I'll tell you a, a little bit more insight into how they became to be that way. As I sat with Jeannie and Jean and they told their story, Jeannie said, you know, here's another journal that you might be interested in looking through. And so I did. I kind of flipped through the pages of it. It was a story of her life, but it was told through a different lens. And she was in the process of writing a book, and it was roughly about her but a different perspective. And the story, as she titled it, uh, she was hoping to make a book, was called How God Has Blessed Me All My Life. See, she believed that God was doing a great thing through her and sometimes in spite of her. She believed that God was actively doing things and that she would be just a willing participant in whatever God would bring along her way. She understood that if she was going to leave a legacy behind that actually made a difference, it couldn't be all on her shoulders. It couldn't be all on the things that she could accomplish on her own. It had to be something more, something bigger, something more permanent than that. And my guess is, is that if, if we sat down, you and I, over coffee sometime, and we got to the point where we talked about the legacy that you would like to live, leave behind, it would be a legacy that you would like for your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids to build into, that you would leave something behind for them that would kind of stand the test of time. And see, here's the problem with that, is that if it's built on your strengths, it will not last past you. It just won't. But when it's built through God, see, we have this story of Moses that's been passed down for thousands of years. Not because Moses was awesome. He was a shepherd in the, in the far country, working for his father-in-law and tending his sheep. 
The reason why we have Moses' story is what God was able to do through Moses. But here's the problem for Moses as, as, as God tasks him with this is that Moses doesn't really want to go back to Egypt. I mean, this is kind of a sore spot for him, right? This is a place he left because of his own mistake. He was really never a part of them anyway. It's going to be uncomfortable for Moses. It's going to be difficult for Moses. It's not going to be easy. In fact, Moses really has no idea, even though he knows it's going to be hard, he has no idea how hard it's going to be. He's going from 40 years of shepherding sheep to 40 years of shepherding people. He's going to spend the next 40 years of his life wandering in the desert. And instead of shepherding sheep who don't talk back, he's going to spend the next 40 years of his life shepherding people who constantly talk back, who constantly complain. He has no idea just how difficult this is actually going to be. And yet there's a part of figuring out who are we in Christ to know that, all right, this can't sit on my shoulders because if it does, then I'm going to request that God make it in my comfort zone. That it become easy for me. That it's an easy yes. That it's a no-brainer for me. But that's not what God calls Moses to do, does he? He says, all right, we're going we're gonna, we're gonna to make this infinitely difficult. How about you go back to the place that you ran away from 40 years ago? How about we start there? And now you're going to lead a group of people who look at you every day and ask you questions that you can't answer for 40 years. Oh, and by the way, when you finally get to the land that I'm telling you about, that you're leading people to, you're actually not going to enter that. See, we would love for the thing that God calls us to in our identity to be the easy yes, to be the comfortable yes, to be the thing that makes us feel good inside. But here's what I've learned a long time ago. A friend of mine told me this uh, many, many years ago, it stuck with me, is that you'll never grow an inch in your comfort zone. See, there's probably an area of your life where you just keep saying, no, 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 I'll do anything, but I won't do that. Listen, God, you can call me into all of these areas. I feel comfortable. I feel confident. I feel secure in these areas. But this area, nope. And isn't it odd that that's the thing that keeps surfacing for you? See, I don't know what that is. But you do. Because God keeps placing that in your lap over and over and over again. You're thinking, no, 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 no. No, 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 not me. And God's calling you outside of that comfort zone. And maybe it's not about you after all. Maybe God is doing something through you that you can't see yet, and it's going to leave a legacy that's far beyond you. See, your name is just a footnote in God's story, but he wants you. He wants you there. And here's the other thing about this is that oftentimes, especially when it comes to uh, church and and, and leaving a legacy, we, we often want something rich, right? We want something uh, that, that, is, that is full of life and, and meaningful, but it's hard 
to necessarily give of our time to do those things, right? I love, <clears throat> I love family traditions, but family traditions can be really tough, can't they? It means you sacrifice some things for other things. It means that you're going to carve out specific times and dates and things like that, and you're going to put energy into it to make it special and make it meaningful. The hard part is doing that. So what we often find is that we expect more than what we give. And then we wind up being disappointed. Why didn't it work out that way? Well, how much time did you put into it? Well, how come I didn't wind up losing weight this year? Well, how much time did you dedicate to that? Well, I really wanted my kids to, you know, learn more about Jesus this year. Okay, well, how much time did you dedicate to that? Well, I can't figure out why my family's struggling so much. I mean, okay, well, how much time did you invest in them this year? See, we oftentimes expect more than we invest, and then we become disappointed. And so a part of this, that what God is calling Moses to, is to invest more than he expects. He's saying, all right, you're going to have to leave it all behind and trust me. You're going to have to invest completely because when you expect more than you invest, you will likely become disappointed. But the beautiful thing is that God does not expect that Moses can do this by, him, by himself. He doesn't say, all right, Moses, I have this plan that I'd like for the Egyptians uh, to, to uh, release my people, the Israelites. And so if you could just go and figure that out, that would be wonderful. That's not what happens, is it? In fact, Moses is like, listen, I, I, don't, I don't want no part of this. If you keep reading on, and next week we're going to continue on this story, what you'll find is that really all that Moses provides is a yes in the end. A yes in faith. Because in chapter 3 verse 11 we find out that Moses has no ability and in verse 13 he has no real message to give he has no idea what he's going to say and then in chapter 4 verse 1 we find out that he has no authority who am I what by by what name am I doing this nobody knows me nobody cares about me I have no I have no authority to to even say anything and then in, in chapter 4 verse 10 we find out that he's not even really that great with words he's like listen I'm the mumbler stumbling bumbling idiot I, I'm not the person that you want to be your spokesperson I'm not the right guy for the job and then in chapter 4 verse 13 we find out that he has no desire Right? He's not at all the person you think. He's like, listen, beyond the fact that I'm not, I don't even have the right characteristics, I don't even want to. You could list a hundred things, and this would be on the last on the list of the things I want to do. And God says, yeah, yeah, I get it. And yet I call you. See, a part of finding out who we really are is finding out who Christ is through us. And the only way you can find out who Christ is through you is to rely on him, to do things that you wouldn't do on your own. You're like, listen, I'm not the right person. I don't have the right skill set. In fact, I really don't even want to. And God said, yeah, I get it. Now go for it. See, God says, I'm going to be with you 
and I will provide. When it comes to building a legacy of faith, who I am is not nearly as important as who God is. This is the story of Moses. I love our worship today as we've really sang about who we are in Christ because it's through Christ that we find our identity. It's through Christ who loves us so much that we find our space in him, our place in him, our purpose in him. See, if you're waiting for it to come along and to just feel natural and normal and easy, it's probably not from him. That's no story we ever hear about in the Old or New Testament. It's the people who would step out in faith and who would say, listen, I realize that God's not just going to leave me in my comfort zone, but he's going to call me out. He's going to cause me to take a shift in my life from where I am now to cause me to grow into something new. This is what God does for us. And he continues to bless us over and over and over again in those places as we'll get to sing about here in just a moment. So today, as we conclude our time together, would you stand up as I speak this blessing over you, reminding you once again who God is and who you are in him. May you never, ever, ever forget it. On the days where you feel like a failure, and the days you're scared to take the next step out of your comfort zone, May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and give you peace. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and present you before his glorious presence without fault and with tremendous joy. May you be swept away in God's love for you oh, and transformed through the Holy Spirit's power within you. Thanks be to the only God, our Savior, who is unparalleled and unchanging, who is matchless and merciful, who is supreme and sufficient, who is before all things, through all things, and in all things, both thou and